Hello, and welcome to the Pinocchio Project. I'm Mitch Friedman, and in my experience as a husband, a father, a church planter, a pastor, and a university professor, I've discovered that everyday ideas on human flourishing have significant consequences. Our goal here at the Pinocchio Project is to examine these everyday ideas to see if they actually deliver on their promises. Hello and welcome to the Pinocchio Project. This is Mitch Friedman and I'm here with Jeff Olson. We're in beautiful Lago Vista, Texas. And uh, this is going to be part two of four on a conversation about uh, human flourishing and abortion. Uh, We've said and continue to say that ideas on human flourishing uh, that are valid and true actually bring flourishing. Uh, Ideas that are not valid and are untrue bring human degrading and suffering. And so I want to start this podcast with just a little reminder of our conversation from last time uh, when we compared and contrasted the characteristics of a biblical worldview on a human flourishing and a secular worldview or a secular humanist worldview or humanism as a philosophy and secularism as the practice of that philosophy and its ideas about human flourishing. And we looked at the characteristics and just to uh, summarize a bit, a biblical worldview uh, has me embracing my identity uh, that's been given to me by my Creator and embracing my design and embracing His purpose for me. Uh, a biblical worldview has me embracing the fact uh, that I am a rebel by nature. I have a sin nature, and as a result, I'm separated from God. A biblical worldview on human flourishing has me embracing the fact that Jesus Christ has now provided me uh, through my faith in his sacrificial death on a cross and proven in his resurrection. He has given me my humanity back, and now I am able to live fully into my identity uh, with his Holy Spirit in me now empowering uh, my life uh, as Christ would desire. And then the fourth characteristic is that characteristic lived out uh, in Christ's desire for me to be an agent of kingdom restoration until he makes all things new. And to summarize a a secular worldview on human flourishing, uh, I must first recognize that I am an autonomous agent, that I, I am not created by a divine I have no design and purpose, and I actually am my own agency. And so when I say autonomous, uh, we hear that word a lot, uh, but literally what that word means, uh, going back to the original language from which it was formed, it's, it's two words, autonomos, meaning I am a law unto myself. I am not responsible to or for anyone else. And so one of the characteristics of a secular worldview on human flourishing is I must now live into my identity as an independent agent, and I must resist any message that says that there's any responsibility outside of me uh, to anything or anyone divine. And so my purposes there and implications are much different since I'm not responsible or accountable to anybody. uh, I can pretty much find my way by doing the thing I want to do as long as I'm not quote-unquote hurting anybody. And so uh, the biblical worldview has me creating culture according to God's desire, and that's what brings the most flourishing generationally. And a secular worldview has really no grounding in anything true or ethical or moral. Uh, Attempts are made because going back to our original supposition, 
that all human beings are made of the image of God. Even though I claim to be without God, uh, the image of God demands that I try to create culture and even do some good, which is the absolute uh, contrasting opposite of what I would say a Darwinian uh, materialistic view of life is. Survival of the fittest demands that I have no mercy or pity for anyone or anything other than the perpetuation of my own. Uh, so that's maybe a conversation for another day. But So I'm going to just start with a question here now that we've summarized uh, those two uh, worldviews on human flourishing. Is abortion necessary to promote and protect and live out human flourishing? Is abortion necessary to promote and protect and live out human flourishing? What I'd like to do now is I'd like to read an excerpt uh, that doesn't have anything necessarily to do with abortion, but it is kind of a recent uh, publication, a recent book from uh, a secular humanist about uh, maximizing human flourishing according to a, a humanist or a secular perspective. Uh, Steven Pinker is the author, and he published a book in 2018 called Enlightenment Now, and the subtext, The Case for Reason, Science, Humanism, and Progress. And so Mr. Pinker's main observations in this book that are very hopeful and very visionary, by the way, uh, he starts with the proposition that the human condition has improved over the past 500 years on almost every significant dimension, including lifespan, health, wealth, equality, safety, democracy, knowledge, and happiness. I just want to pause right there. What I know of the last 500 years of humanity attempting to flourish in these ways, I have to agree. For most countries, I know there's still some what we would call third world countries that, are, that we're still trying to help. But on the main, when it comes to lifespan, health, wealth, equality, safety, democracy, knowledge, and happiness, I think Mr. Pinker's right. Where I would disagree with him is and to what he attributes these improvements and developments. The summary goes on to say that, that Stephen Pinker attributes these improvements to developments in Western civilization epitomized by the Enlightenment of the 18th century and its embrace of science and reason. I would offer that that needs a much closer look. If you look at many, many of the improvements that he is naming here that we agree with, most, if not all, of these were catalyzed by people with a biblical worldview. Uh, but that's going to be for an, that's going to be for another time, maybe. These podcast possibilities just keep stacking up. Go ahead and put a note in the file on that one. So, the final chapter of his book, Enlightenment Now, Pinker reviews the review that we did of the Manifesto Three. If you remember last week's podcast, the the Humanist Manifesto Three, and defines humanism as the goal of maximizing human flourishing. In effect, he identifies humanism as the Enlightenment's contemporary incarnation, thereby endowing the movement with a scope and significance far exceeding that expressed by humanists or any other humanist organization. There's a humanist MN uh, that is the baseline organization he's referring to. So he's very hopeful uh, that this embrace of science and reason will take us into even more and more human flourishing, actually maximum human flourishing. And so my question for uh, Mr. Pinker is, uh, is that available to everyone? 
is this is this maximized human flourishing available to all? Is your worldview big enough to include everybody who is called human, including possibly uh, that unborn life in the womb? Uh, humanists have a, uh, a mostly uh, what I would call a pro-abortion stance across the board. Interestingly, you will find humanists and atheists uh, that are definitely intent and very vocal and activist uh, in their protection or their desire to protect the unborn, uh, and I would call that common sense. So let's move on now. I just wanted to give you that view of uh, how a humanist sees a flourishing environment with all those characteristics. I want to take us right now to a, a, an article from the New York Times uh, this past week that came out. Uh, on the heels of the leak of the uh, majority opinion draft by uh, Judge Alito. And uh, the New York Times is widely seen as sort of the, I would say, the banner carrier or the bell cow or the bellwether of a secular agenda. And uh, it's worth the read. Uh, at the very minimum, it's worth the read just perusing it for articles on worldview because you'll find them aplenty and it's good to know where the garden of ideas is being cultivated and what ideas are being planted uh, in hopes that they'd bloom into culture. And I, w- I want to read an article that came out uh, on the heels of this leaked draft. And this uh, is written by a Mr. Jesse Wegman on the editorial board. It came out on the 3rd of May. And I'm not sure how long, long I'm going to read. What I want you to do is I want, to, I want you to listen for moral language, for agenda language. Uh, Mr. Wegman begins, No one expected that the news of Roe v. Wade's imminent demise would come as it did. In an extraordinary late-night leak of a draft opinion two months before the end of the Supreme Court session. But everyone should have expected that it would eventually come. For decades, the court has been chipping away at a woman's right to choose what happens to her own body. But the core holding of Roe always managed to survive. Now, every time I see that language, the court has been chipping away at a woman's right to choose what happens to her own body. Uh, that, That raises moral alarm bells for me. Then came 2020 when Justice Ruth Bader Ginsburg died and was replaced by Justice Amy Coney Barrett only days before the presidential election. Suddenly, the court had a solid majority of justices who appeared prepared to overturn Roe outright. This didn't happen by accident. Republicans have spent the past several years twisting the court into an aggressive right-wing supermajority for precisely this purpose. Remember that one of Donald Trump's major selling points in the 2016 campaign was his vow that, if elected, he would ensure Roe was overturned automatically. It hasn't been automatic, but if the holding in the draft opinion stands, it will mark an astonishing moment in our history. The elimination of an existing constitutional right, I hope you're listening well, one that millions of American women not to mention the men who impregnated them, which must be included, this is uh, my aside, have relied on for nearly half a century. And I'm going to stop right there because uh, the article goes on to continue to decry the, uh, the work that's been done on the political right, against the political left, and really uh, that goes against uh, what the New York Times article says, what Mr. Wegman says. 
is contrary, what the court is doing is contrary to the perspective and desires of most Americans. Now, what we've talked about here is a political shell game. And what we don't want to do is allow our worldview to now change the redemption factor, the salvation question from faith in Jesus to faith in the state. And I find this is a big temptation in uh, Western culture, especially in the United States. Well, maybe not. I just live in the United States, so maybe I see it more clearly. Uh, but as a pastor for over 30 years, I, I've seen how, how Christians have a tendency to flip the script on where their security uh, and their anchor point is. Uh, salvation will never come to us via Air Force One or the, the politicals uh, in Washington or in your state house or in your municipality. Uh, salvation has already uh, arrived uh, via the empty tomb and Jesus risen from the dead. So uh, it's important for us to understand what's going on here uh, and to be able to interpret moral language. We've spoken now for almost, I don't know, 30 minutes over these two podcasts for this week, and I failed to mention the most important person in this argument, and I've left that person out intentionally because all we're talking about here are the realities that culture and ideas influence politics and policymakers. And if you have a culture that is largely committed to the image of God from the moment of conception as sperm meets egg, then you would have policymakers with the same bent interpreting and then uh, legislating the wants of the people. Our experiment in ordered liberty has three branches, the executive branch, which is the president and his cabinet, uh, has the legislative branch, which is the House and the Senate, and it has the judicial branch, which is the Supreme Court. But what we've done over time in recent decades is we've allowed uh, the state through each or all of these branches collectively to become the answer to our problems. And when a secular worldview has invaded the culture and now is influencing policymakers, you can be sure that the most marginalized and the most inconvenient will suffer the most. So I'm going to close this podcast with what I would call uh, the ultimate opposites. There was a lot of language in that New York Times article, just even the short portion that I read about protecting rights and lives at stake and, and the, the agenda of, of folks who want to take away uh, privileges and limit flourishing. So I have just two ideas that I want to propose to you. Feel free to give me some feedback. These are what I call ultimate opposites as to ideas on human flourishing. The first ultimate opposite is dying. Dying is the ultimate opposite of flourishing. Dying is the ultimate opposite of flourishing. Agree? Disagree? The second ultimate opposite as to human flourishing. Being killed is the ultimate opposite of being protected. Being killed is the ultimate opposite of being protected. 
I'm going to leave you with a syllogism that uh, I think defines our conversation for the next two podcasts as we discuss how we got to a place where rights, quote unquote, trump life. And if those rights are actually rights, natural rights don't impede on anybody else's rights. A syllogism. It's wrong to take an innocent human life. An unborn child is an innocent human life. Therefore, it's wrong to take the life of an innocent human child. That seems perfectly coherent, consistent, and livable. Why are we so far apart in its application? Until next time, this is Mitch Friedman for the Pinocchio Project. These ideas have immeasurable consequences. Thanks so much for being with us on the Pinocchio Project today. If this podcast has value for you, please subscribe or follow. Give us a five-star rating and share. If you have an everyday idea you'd like to submit for us to examine, simply email us at pinocchioprojectpod at gmail.com. We're on Twitter at PinocchioPod, or you can hit the links in the show notes below. Thanks again for listening, and remember, your everyday ideas have significant consequences.